As I've traveled the world and had these opportunities to meet and work alongside a lot of very interesting people, the question that I keep getting is, how can I create the life that I want? How can I create the brand, the behaviors, the culture that motivate and drive me? This podcast is dedicated to those questions. We can figure out great ways to move forward in life and create a life worth living, a life with purpose and meaning. My name is David Vanderveen. Welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. If you've been listening to the Kick, Asp- Kick Aspirational Podcast in order, uh, you just listened to an interview with Jason Tardick, who's super famous as the Bachelorette star, but who created a brand around creating the life you want, um, breaking free from maybe a career path or, or a hustle that you're on that isn't what you'd hope for, and, and how to do it. Uh, he's got some great questions, some great assessment tools in there. It's fantastic. He has this new book called The Restart Roadmap. Um, that's an elegant weapon to use to cut the cords that maybe are keeping many of us in bondage to something other than our best selves. Strong recommend. I bought it on pre-order, just got it in Paris. You can buy it anywhere on earth through Amazon, but um, what a great tool. What a great book. Strong recommend. And if you, if you haven't listened to the podcast with Jason Tardick, it's a great time to listen to it. Um, so I'm going to be referencing it a bit too. So this podcast is basically just me talking about some mistakes I've made handling money managing risk and really screwing up my own family's finances, as well as sharing how Sarah and I got out of debt, uh, how we fixed our top line, but also had to solve some bottom line issues to get to a place where where we could choose what we wanted to do or not do, um, how to live and invest, and basically um, how to create the life we wanted. Um, The next podcast after this one, by the way, is with Rob Bell, who's also talking about money. Um, You may know Rob. He's on the cover of Time magazine. He's, uh, you know, one of uh, Time's most interesting people, Time 100. Uh, He's a best-selling author, um, very good personal friend. But uh, he has a new book out, and I interviewed him about it. Uh, It's an audio book called Grabbing the Bag, uh, which is, that's a great title for a book, uh, Grabbing the Bag. Um, but you can find that on his website, robbell.com, R-O-B-B-E-L-L, two B's, two L's, R-O-B-B-E-L-L.com. There's a way you can just download it there and listen to it. It's a great book called Grabbing the Bag. Uh, and he also talks about it on one of his Robcast episodes. Uh, it's really kind of all about historic ideas about money and our relationship to it, how money defines us. Um, in fact, if you like that book by Rob, I'd also suggest, uh, Rob's other audiobook um, called handling your fire, which is about passion, burnout, routines, and resilience. And, and with Jason Tart- um, Tardic, you should also, uh, he has a great podcast we'll talk about as well. Um, that gets into, uh, some of the details around how, um, it's, his podcast is called trading secrets, but it gets into some of the details around uh, around investing and and what to do with money and things like that. Um, I'll reference some of that as we go on here. But um, we're getting into some really fun things. I'm also going to talk about uh, some a few reference points here. One is Jason Tardick, who was just on Rob Bell, who'll be on next week, and I'm also going to reference uh, Tony and Francis Papalardo, who've been on my podcast a couple times in the past. Um, and in fact, they created a life that has allowed them to take almost a year and a half off to deal with Tony battling cancer. Um, You know, they built the life they wanted. So they had the freedom and the time to live the life they wanted. And they just came out with a new book called customize your life that I'll read from in a minute. Cause I had a little small hand in it. Um, that's been kind of profoundly life-changing uh, for them. They customized their life and built a life they wanted. And as a result, you know, when bad things happen, they have a way to deal with it and manage it so they can get through it. Um, 
So yeah, so on this podcast, I wanted to highlight a few things that Jason and I discussed about getting our financial homes in order uh, so we can live our best lives. I'll let you listen to Rob's interview and download his books after this one. Uh, it'll they'll come out, our interview will come out next. And, uh, and you know, his books, you can find on his website. But this podcast, like I said before, also coincides with the podcast I've done with Tony and Francis. And you can find them in the first season in episode 13 and in season two, episode nine. Um, they're great friends from my excess days, really close like family. And just they just launched a beautiful hardcover book, Customize Your Life, which I talked about. Um, so maybe I'll start by talking about Customize Your Life and some things that Tony and Francis have done with their business and basically how it saved their lives. About a decade or so ago, I, I don't remember exactly how long ago it was, I did a talk about wealth for them, for their for their organization. Um, and, and it wasn't so much basically saying, you know, wealth isn't about an amount of money. It's about having options. It's about the freedom to choose. It's about being able to tailor the world to fit the life you want. Um, I heavily referenced one of Seth Godin's books in that one, where we're all weird. And, uh, and I did the talk for Tony and Francis and they took the idea to, as we would say it, uh, it works a whole nother level. And here's how I think they describe that talk in the intro of their book. And it would kind of move me the way they wrote this. So I thought I'd share it with you a little bit. This is the introduction to customize your life. They say, no matter when you're reading this book, one thing is certain, you can't forget a year like 2020. There's something about a global pandemic that leaves its mark on you. We are no different. Um, in fact, we started working on this book well before the world shut down in the spring of 2020, but in a way what the world went through because of COVID-19 actually caused us to double down on the message you're about to discover in this book. But before you get started, we'd like to talk a little bit about what Customize Your Life means and tell you how the name originated. Several years ago, we were invited to speak at a conference for entrepreneurs where we were able to catch up with a West Coast entrepreneurial friend of ours, Dave Vanderveen, who was there to speak too. The evening after the first, I, I apologize, it wasn't their conference. I think it was a breakout they had at the conference. Um, the evening after the first day of the conference, we ended up hanging out together and sharing a room service meal and catching up on the day's events. We kicked around ideas, talked about what we'd heard, and more importantly, began brainstorming what we might be able to accomplish together. He, meaning me, <laughs> Dave used a phrase that immediately struck a chord deep within us and continued to resonate the rest of the night. Over a bite of food, he said, essentially what we're talking about here is customizing your life or to be more specific, helping other people customize their lives. Bingo. That phrase took up residence in our conscious minds and hearts from that point forward. It became the heartbeat for how we began to formulate our work. That phrase, customize your life, dropped itself into our messaging effortlessly and even more so into our DNA. We are very big on giving credit where it's due because everything else we know we've learned from someone else. They lived and shared their lessons. They've simply digested, absorbed and metabolized it. Um, we've simply digested, absorbed and metabolized it in our own way. So today we simply say thank you. In this book, we're going to talk about surrounding yourself with the right voices, the ones that inspire you, encourage you, and help you get to the next levels of your life. Dave and his wife, Sarah, have been just that. Not only are they two of our greatest friends, they've also served as mentors, guys, and encouragers. Customize your life wouldn't be what it is without their friendship. Uh, which brings us back to 2020 and back to you. Like so many that year, we struggled with being separated from family, watching businesses close down, and having friends and families pass away. We also dealt with a cancer diagnosis for Tony and a painful late-term miscarriage. All along, though we've continued to beat the drum to the tune of Customize Your Life and the, the difficulties of that season, we battle-tested you know, through that time. The, the CYL message, we taught it to others. We watched many times over Zoom calls as relationships were transformed, wounds were healed, childhood scripts were rewritten, debt was demolished, wealth was generated, and lives were changed. 
The message of customize your life is more than a mindset. It's a movement. It's what happens when people decide to do something that radically redirects this day and all their days going forward. So to you, the reader, we'd like to say thank you for taking the time to read this book. Uh, we appreciate you more than you'll know. And we're grateful for your willingness to trust us to be your guides on the journey. We don't take that responsibility lightly. Our hope for you is that when we put this book down, you'll be energized about customizing your life in a way that helps you live it out with purpose and makes an impact on those you love and respect and weather any future storms ahead. And they have weathered some amazing storms. They've gotten through some, some uh, tremendous difficulties and it's because they took the time to create the life they wanted that could be a safe harbor when things weren't always easy as well as the life they wanted to live with purpose when it was. Um, so there's three big takeaways from their book. And I think this is something that ties into the overall idea of getting your financial house in order. Um, you know, uh, this is, and by the way, so the three big things come from, I'm jumping around here a little bit, from, from the podcast with Jay Sektardik, and you'll, I'll reference some of the big things in Tony and Francis's book following it. Jason says, what are the three big things you need to focus on? Um, one, what are you doing every day to negotiate for your top line? How are you putting more money in the, in the funnel? 63% of all people never even negotiate for themselves once in a career. You got to ask. And sometimes the answer is no. The way that, uh, that, you know, my dad was kind of a good mentor for me in a lot of ways. And one of the things he told me about going and asking for a raise was, he said, don't ask for a raise because you work hard. Don't ask for a raise because, you know, whatever you're doing takes more of your time or, you know, because your job is difficult. Of course it is. That's why you're getting paid now. He said, the question you, you really should be asking uh, somebody who you're working for is, what can I, you know, here's where I want to get. Here's the target that I'd like to hit. Um, how can I add more value to this business so that I can earn that? And that's a very different question than I work hard, therefore you owe me. Uh, it's, it's a very different way to negotiate. It's actually saying, hey, this is where I think I should be. This is where I need to get to. How can I do that here? Help me create a path or a plan to do that. Um, the second thing he says, so that's, that's a big thing. You know, make sure you're negotiating for yourself and you're, you're, you're figuring out how to earn what you need and what you, what you, what you, uh, in, in ways that you can add more value to the business you're at. The second thing he talks about is behavioral based budgeting. Look at the last two credit card statements over 90 days. What does it say? What are you spending money on? Where do we all need to do some work and manage things? What does it say about you, about me? Um, you know, when I look at my spending habits, it always tells me things. Uh, and sometimes it tells me that maybe I've got an issue. Maybe I'm trying to cope for, with, for, you know, uh, for a shortage in my life by, uh, you know, overspending in another area. And so it's, it's just great for us to look at where we're spending, how we're spending, why we're spending it that way, and to put it in a spreadsheet and to say, is that what we want? Or do we want to change that? Um, it, the spreadsheet to me, and I'll talk about this a little bit for Sarah and I has been kind of magical at helping us take the emotion out of the discussion. And then the third big thing that, that Jason talks about is, um, this is Jason Tardick again, understanding debt and paying down high interest rates, pay down anything over 7%. Some might say, you know, see, that's the current interest rate. Some might say anything over three to 5% because we do have low interest rates on most debt today. So anything over the current interest rate or that isn't long-term debt, we all need to get paid off. And, and the reason is because, you know, if you think about it, if you're trying to put money to work for you versus have your money either just sit there in cash, which is depreciating every day because interest is going up. Or if you have debt, it's just eroding your ability to save because every day that you've got a 10% or 20% or you know, some high credit card debt, 
anytime you've got high interest rates uh, working against you, it's just killing whatever you're earning, right? You're paying money just to pay the interest a lot of times. Um, one of the hacks that Customize Your Life uh, came up with. So again, I'm kind of jumping back and forth between Jason Tardik and, and the popular artists here, but in Customize Your Life, they say uh, one of the hacks is to pay your mortgage every two weeks rather than once a month. It's the same amount, but you end up making an extra month of payments because there's 52 weeks in a year versus 12 months. So you, you pay off an extra month every year, even though it feels kind of the same coming out of your paycheck. Over 30 years, if you had a $200,000 mortgage, you'd have paid it off five years early and you save almost $35,000 in interest. So there's a little hacks. There's other things that, that they talk about in the book, uh, both Jason and in, 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 in Customize Your Life. But I wanted to give you a couple different resources. Um, so this wasn't just a book report and give you some general ideas about ways you can start getting focused on getting your debt paid down. Also, you know, one of the things that this means is you're creating a budget and a spreadsheet and you're looking at what are your fixed and variable costs every month. Um, your fixed costs would be like auto payment, you know, your, your housing payment, um, probably a food budget. Uh, and you might want to put a pencil to that and really make sure it is what it is. But then I think, you know, variable costs would be eating out, going to Starbucks, um, you know, extra trips that you might take, uh, club memberships, uh, gym health club memberships. There's a whole lot of different things when you really sharpen your pencil that, that are variable, um, that you might consider fixed. In fact, a vehicle can even be a, a variable cost if you have access to public transit. Here in Paris, we don't use cars. Um, you know, it's just, I mean, I use an Uber, but I don't use a, uh, you know, I mostly walk or, or take the Metro wherever we go. And it's just because of where we're living right now. Um, so those are things that you can think about and look at and, and then consider like, what should, where should my money be going? The other thing is when you get to getting your debt paid off, you start thinking about saving and investing. Um, do you have a rainy day fund? You know, if you look at your fixed and variable costs each month, do you know what those are? Make a budget. Um, have you saved six to 18 months in available savings that you have access to if things go sideways? And if there's a war <laughs> or if you lose a job, get sick, et cetera. Um, six to 18 months of your of your monthly budget in a, in, a in a cash account that you have access to or a CD, something that's earning some interest, but, you know, it's, very, it's available. You don't have to worry about... Uh, you know, stock market crashing or anything like that. Um, if you think about books like Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Managing Cash Flow to Invest, a budget will show you your cash flow of liabilities and assets. And in and, and cash flow liabilities and cash flow assets, it basically means, is this thing that you're like a car might be considered an asset on a standard, uh, you know, accrual table. But if you're looking at uh, cash flow, a car is generally you know, a liability, it's costing you more, it's generating more cost, more cash flow deficits than, than positive cash flow returns. Um, and, and one of the things to look at is how do you convert those liabilities into assets in your budget? How do you take, for example, part of your grocery budget or your coffee budget or your, you know, the things that you're consuming and rather than put that money in somebody else's business, you put it in your own. Or like, you know, um, one of the things that I did when I was doing a lot of uh, independent work and had my own business uh, still do is my car became an asset. And the way I did it is I would buy, I was putting 50,000 miles a year on a car. I would buy a, a nice used car uh, that I knew I was going to burn up and I would write off the mileage that I was doing for work. And, you know, that allowed me to not only write off the, the value of the car in a couple of years, but it also allowed me to actually generate effectively cash flow on my tax returns because I could write off the mileage. So there's different ways you can look at it, think about it, 
You have to do the things that are right for you. But it's having just having the budget, just having the conversation, having a certified uh, certified public accountant, a CPA, or somebody like that in the country that you live in. You know, and for our business uh, with ItWorks, we offer Fisca to our German and French uh, distributors to help them with their with their uh, tax accounting and to you know convert more cash flow uh, liabilities and assets to take advantage of the tax code as as they can. Um, the other thing you can do as you start investing is you can do something that I think is is very wise, especially in a volatile market like today. It's called dollar cost averaging. Um, when you're investing, rather than try and pick a day and a time to buy or pick a day and a time to sell, um, you just say, you know what, I'm going to buy long term. And for example, let's say Microsoft and so or Apple or, you know, or pick your the stock that you're really excited about or an index fund. And um you know, an index fund is an average of, for example, the Standard & Poor's 500, the S&P 500, or, you know, it's an average of, you can buy, uh, you can buy averages of a lot of different baskets of, of types of stocks you might be interested in. Um, but do a dollar cost averaging approach where you're not worried about picking the right day and time to buy. You're just saying, hey, every, every Tuesday at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to buy a thousand dollars, you know, or maybe it's twice a month or once a month. I'm going to buy a thousand dollars worth of that stock. And so basically what you're doing is, you know, you're not worried about over a year, what the average, you know, what the price was when you purchase you're, you're, you're averaging that, averaging that out with your purchasing. And you're assuming that that is going to go up and to the right over time. And, and the averaging kind of de-risks what the price was when you purchased it, because you're going to get an average over, over, over a year, over many years. Um, also find the right, find the right investment advisors. Um, you know, there's a lot of, lot of great, uh, companies and tools out there. Uh, you know, at, when you're at different levels of assets, you're going to have a different type of, of relationship with a financial advisor. Um, you know, we used a fixed fee advisor because we have, you know, substantial assets and we're not paying percentages anymore. Um, you know, you can start out just buying index funds. Like we talked about before, this is the very simple ways to do this. Um, and part of it is if you're working, if you have a job, it's just taking advantage of all the pre-tax ways you can save and invest money. I mean, a lot of people have 401ks. So it's a pre-tax way before the government takes taxes out that you can put money away to save it. A lot of companies will match up to maybe 5% or 4% of your investment. So if you put 4% of your paycheck into a 401k every month pre-tax, you probably won't notice much in, in terms of what you actually take home in, in a difference between whether you did it or you didn't. But that 4% you're putting away, the company's matching, you're making 100% just off that. Plus, you're getting it pre-tax. So you're probably saving another 20 or 30% on those dollars. And when you take it out, you'll take it out uh, with the benefit of no taxes being taken on the interest that you accrue. So it's just, it's a great way to save money. There's Roth IRAs, if you're self-employed, that you can do. Strong recommend there. Um, HSAs, health savings accounts, if you're in the US, where again, you can you can have a high deductible uh, saving, you know, health, health account that you use for health expenses, but you can put, I think it's up to $7,500 a year tax-free that if you don't use it, you can save. Um, it's just a great way to save money. Great way to have low cost, lower cost insurance in the U S it's just some simple tools to help people take advantage of the, of the, of what's out there. And then the other thing is, um, just asking your company, you know, you're the head of your HR, whoever you work with in your HR, do we have a stock purchase program at this company? Do we have a 401k matching program at this company? And take full advantage of those because that's one of the easiest ways to earn more money on the investments that you put away. Um, there's also, you know, there's, there's obviously real estate investments. Most people, 
their biggest real estate investment is the home they live in. Um, but real estate investments can be a nice fixed asset that you can that you can own, and and you know that comes down to the cost you pay versus the rent you can earn off of it. Um, in some places, like uh, where Sarah and I have been living most of our life in Laguna Beach, it's pretty hard to actually get a return on investment um, on rental income because the asset the asset cost is so high. But there's other places in the middle of the country um, where it's a lot easier. Uh, we actually bought in Florida because it was cheaper to purchase than to rent, even though you know we weren't sure how long we were going to be living in Florida. Um, it's just a better way to, to, to purchase real estate there um, and generate, you know, you can generate some rental income from there. Well, we're renting out our properties in Laguna because we frankly don't want to sell them, even though we gave up our California citizenship. And uh, so we put them in some long-term rental and uh, it's, that's been good for us too. And then, you know, we, I talked about this with Jason Tardick. Um, when you get to more speculative investments, a lot of people love to talk about crypto and NFTs. Um, and what he says is until you've got your financial investment template set up and you've got your, you know, your portfolio organized and you know the bulk of your savings investments into something safe and long-term like a 401k or like a managed, something with managed risk, usually in the financial services portfolio, um, don't even talk about crypto and NFTs. It's just, you're just gambling. And, and even if you do have a lot of money uh, saved, Crypto and NFTs are very volatile. It is very speculative right now. Um, the theory is really good. In fact, with Jason, we talked about um, we talked about his podcast, Trading Secrets, and and some of the theories about Bitcoin, as an example, are really good as an alternative to gold and kind of creating becoming a new digital fixed asset that is a hedge against inflation uh, and this increasing money supply that we have in the world with rising interest rates. Um, Listen to Jason Tardick's podcast, Trading Secrets. He's got a great overview of crypto and how to think about it. He does an interview with Anthony Pomp Pompliano, <laughs> Anthony Pomp Pompliano, and it's titled Crypto 101 with Bitcoin's Biggest Better, uh, a gentleman who has 96% of his, of his uh, personal assets tied up in, in crypto, particularly Bitcoin. Um, he gives you a good theory and a good way to think about it. But again, you know, I'm certainly, and I, we, you know, I have, we have uh, some, some crypto assets in our portfolio, but it's a small percentage. It's single digits. And uh, you know, I think it's more of a, I think of it as more of a way to learn about crypto and NFTs at this point than to really be a, a deep investor because it's just so volatile and uh, it's, it's incredibly risky right now. Um, so we started out talking about Jason Tardick's book and some of the things, you know, some of the conversations I've been having with Jason and then with Tony and Francis and customize your life in Tony and Francis's book. They have three cornerstones on wealth building that kind of tie into, or I think are a good parallel to what Jason talks about. First thing they say is aggressively pay down your debt. Same, the same as Jason. Everybody says this. It's what we all need to do is just keep an eye on our debt, especially if you have a lot of consumer debt, get rid of it, focus on it, obsess over it get a spreadsheet, get a plan, get it paid down. Interest on debt works against you. Um, it's a flow or a tide that's consistently working against your financial best interest. Good debt is at or below the current interest rate. So, you know, if you've got long, like a mortgage or, you know, maybe a low interest car payment, you know, you don't have to worry so much about those, I don't think, um, in most cases, because it's, you know, you're, you're, it's costing you less, right, to have that, debt than it is to put your cash into it where you could be earning more in, more higher interest rates. I think that's okay in general, as long as it's not too far out of whack. Um, oftentimes you can write off that debt too, especially in the United States. Um, 
So, you know, I, I think the most important thing is if you have high interest debt, consumer debt, you want anything over 7%, uh, like we talked about before, you want to get that paid off and you want to, you, you want to get to, um, you want to get to a point where you're thinking about every payment you're putting in a credit card, every expense you put out there, you know, you're, you're start thinking about paying your future self. Every dollar that you, that you put on a credit card today, that you're not going to pay off, um, is a dollar you're taking out of your future, future self's pocket. Why would you do that to yourself? Um, it's just not worth it. You know, rarely worth it, right? <laughs> certainly not worth it for a trip. Certainly not worth it for a vacation. Certainly not worth, worth it for a car you can't afford. Um, just live within your means. Um, two, strategically save and invest. And by the way, none of us are perfect at this stuff. Um, we have failed over and over. We've gotten better over time, uh, but it's hard. It's hard to do these things. It takes discipline. It takes a budget. It takes a plan. Um, you know, strategically save and invest is the second big, big cornerstone. The magic of compounding interest can be addicting in the best ways, Tony Francis say. So, you know, go out of your way to find a licensed, well-vetted and low-income, low-cost investment partner. Find somebody who will help you invest your money safely, get you a good return. Um, you know, most people are targeting high single digits on managed returns, you know, 8%. If you're lucky, you'll get to 10%. Uh, but compounding over time, have a runway. If you're young, man, the more you can save now, you know, it's a J curve, the more you're going to make in the future. Um, and so one of the best ways to start is having a strong accounting partnership, like a CPA. I've talked about that before, a certified financial planner, um, an accountant who can help you budget, who can help you manage your tax liabilities. Um, someone who's well vetted, who's well respected, who, you know, who isn't trying to, tell you that it's, you know, you don't have to pay your taxes, get somebody who will keep you safe and get your taxes handled. Um, and then also help you find the right, the right investment partnership so that you can invest wisely and you can have a nest egg that doesn't disappear. And that over time with a long runway, especially if you're young, uh, really has that opportunity to com to compound. And, uh, and, you know, the most important thing is don't lose your money. The second thing is put it to work for you. Uh, put it on a long runway, a long amount of time and let it get, you know, Solid, you know, solid single digits, maybe low, low, low double digits if you're lucky, but get that, get that compounding over decades and it turns into a lot of money. It surprises you. And then I think the most important thing here for almost any of us is intentionally build and work a cash flow asset. Um, smart money invests where it can make an impact. That's across the board, any investment, whether it's PE, venture, you know, you invest where you know what you're doing, you invest where you can, you can actually help that thing succeed. Um, where do you make an impact in business? Do you have a way to invest there? Uh, I'll talk about this in a little way into our own life story, how Sarah and I did this when we were young, when we didn't have any money, but I think that made all the difference for us. It made the difference between living, you know, in a career and sort of, um, struggling to getting ahead and, and having assets that we could leverage. Um, you know, when I graduated from university in 1991, there weren't a lot of jobs. The USA was in a major recession and I had studied and worked mostly in politics and think tanks. So not, not high paid work. Japan was still booming and a friend's mom sent me the details on how to move there and find work. So I borrowed some money from my dad for a plane ticket and, and moved to Asia. Just no idea what I was doing. I didn't speak the language, never eaten Japanese food, just heard that you can make some money there. So I just and had some detail about how to do it. So I went. Um, didn't have a job lined up, didn't even have a place to stay lined up. Uh, I had traveled in college overseas, so I kind of knew how to navigate hostels and trains and things like that. But, uh, you know, it was a little scary. Um, 
but I've never been afraid to work hard. Moving to Japan was one of the most unsettling experiences of my life, much different than visiting Europe. Uh, I just didn't have a lot of cultural context to understand the food, the culture, or language that I dropped into in my early 20s. But I found a few jobs that paid really well, you know, usually between $35 to $100 an hour in 1991, right out of college. And so I was able to pay my dad back and save some money before returning to the USA. You know, that kind of, I would just say that 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 kind of like screwed up my whole perspective on how much money you could earn and what things should cost. Because when I got back to the US, um, you know, I, I started a career in marketing and public relations at a think tank. I thought this was what I studied for. This is what I really need to do. I was poorly paid. You know, you're, you're making a lot of money. I got into debt, auto, credit card, et cetera. And, and I kind of let my cost of living outpace my ability to earn. Um, I had to make some big changes. I rented a room with some friends rather than have my own apartment. Uh, just did some things to get to get control of my expenses. And my dad gave me some great advice in my first year post-college. He said, you know, you've got to own a business, even if you have a job at least to manage your overhead and expenses, to be able to write off the things you do to earn income. Great advice. In fact, I started a business um, within that first year uh, and decided if I was really going to make some money, I needed to get these, these, I needed to have clients rather than a job or a career. Um, so I got my, I started my own company, got multiple clients, you know, the equivalent of multiple jobs really was, I was the only one working and at least figured out how to earn more than one income stream. Um, the problem was that it was tied to my hours in a day. Uh, I remember when, well, I'll get into the story a little bit in a minute, but, um, you know, it was just, well, I could stay up later. I could work earlier. Um, you know, we were able to write off more of our costs for work, but my ability to earn was just limited to my ability to work. And so I, I met Sarah within that year. Um, we moved to the Napa Valley, which created more overheads. It's not, it's you know, expensive to live there. Uh, but that's where my one of my clients was. And then we got married and got pregnant. So I just like compounding, 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 right? Sarah and I decided that it was best if she focused on our new family and the child. And I started to look for more options. Um, we just thought, you know, if you don't invest in your kids, what are you really investing? If you don't invest in your family, what are you really investing in? And, you know, she was more suited to to taking care of the kids. And I was, you know, more suited to to finding ways to work and earn income. So we, that's how we split the roles. Um one of the clients I had was a laboratory in the Napa Valley where Sarah and I were working. And as we were working there as independent contractors rather than employees, I was doing the marketing, communications, managing the front office. And we were flying, I was flying to visit one of our larger clients in Washington state with the owner of the laboratory, effectively my boss. And we booked exit row aisle seats across from each other. Cause he's like, this is the way you fly, you know, exit row aisle seats. It's most comfortable. You can get in and out. It's actually smart. Um, and so as we get on this flight going from Oakland to Seattle, the couple sitting just kind of inside me, um, you know, in the, in the center and, and window seat where they were about my age, the wife was pregnant, similar to my wife and me. And we were talking, the husband and I were talking and he asked if I was, he gets this point. He says, are you making all the money you want to make? And I was kind of like, that's sort of a dumb question. Bill Gates doesn't make all the money he probably wants to make. And, you know, and I said, no, I'm not either, but you know, what, what are you getting at? And we, you know, obviously um, we chatted a bit and, and um, you know, I knew he was kind of, uh, it was leading somewhere and, and he suggested I, I could start a business where I could turn many of my monthly home expenses, you know, the, the grocery basket into a cash flow asset. And I could start a business with customers and consumers where the personal spend I made could be duplicated and I can earn income. 
from that example. And, and that was, that was interesting to me at the time. I just remember thinking, okay, I know I'm being pitched a business and, you know, some kind of investment or something. Um, and that it was probably some version of direct selling. Um, but I didn't really care because I was looking, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're drowning in the ocean, you don't really care what color lifeboat it is. You're just wondering if it's going to, if it's floating and if it's going to work, if it's going to get you where you want to go. Um, Funny thing too, my dad's uncle, Javen Andel, had co-founded Amway. So I had kind of a positive impression of the success that was available to people willing to work in that industry. Um, you know, the Amway co-founders were billionaires. They became very successful. A lot of other people who, who you know, who own direct selling companies had become billionaires. Um, many people, you know, working as distributors in the industry, the, the more successful ones have become millionaires. It's been a you know, very successful industry. Be careful how we present that. Not everybody does, of course. Uh, just like not everybody who joins the gym loses weight. Um, you got to use the treadmill. You got to show up. You got to get a trainer. You got to have a plan. Um, ultimately, though, I thought that if, that if I could cover the cost of diapers in our monthly household budget from whatever, you know, this guy was talking about, then it was worth the look. And, and I gave it, a, I gave it, you know, a real solid look. I didn't just dismiss it. I actually paid attention. Um, the funny thing was that, you know, on that plane, my boss is sitting across the aisle and basically everybody on the plane was from Amway. They were distributors who were flying home from an incentive trip to Disneyland. So wherever we sat, we were going to sit, sit next to someone who was going to have a similar discussion with me. Um, and, and the story of how that person, Scott Kuhn and his, his wife at the time sponsored Sarah and me is a long and funny one. That's it's in some of the earlier podcasts. I think one of the first or second episodes, and maybe hopefully at some point I can get Scott on this, this podcast to tell his version of that story. It's hilarious. Um, but we did sign up. He was living in Seattle. We were living you know, in, the, in the Napa Valley. We were at a distance. It was the nineties. You know, there was no worldwide web at the time or no internet. Uh, there, there was no worldwide web not yet. Uh, there was internet, but we didn't use it. Nobody used it at the time, unless you're in science or something. And um, so we had to build the business at a distance over the phone, very manually. It wasn't easy. Uh, we didn't set any records, but we refused to quit. And we were kind of committed to figuring it out. Um, I was like, if these guys can do it, I can do it. I just got to figure out how to make it happen. And mostly I just had to overcome my own fears. So along the way, I started talking to more people about helping them expand their businesses. I didn't really understand risk yet. And so Sarah and I co-founded a biotech and pharmaceutical company in Venezuela through some people we met in the mid to late nineties that started out doing well. We were importing, we started out actually importing computer chips and then kind of transitioned into rapid assays. So these rapid tests um, back in the 1990s. Um, and it started out doing really well. And we did it because if you get into Venezuela at the time, you could have these kind of, it was Andean packed uh, countries. So you could instantly start distributing into other markets as well. But, you know, what we didn't understand was what a coup d'etat was. You know, the military could take over the government or banks could be shut down. Um, and ultimately we had sort of a spectacular extortion event where my partner down there, uh, bribed a bank teller to release all the money in our accounts to him. And then I was personally on the hook in the United States to our vendors and my partners. Um, it just created a huge mess. It basically ruined us. We ended up in six figures of debt that we couldn't afford, including credit cards for business expenses. Our leased Honda Accord was repossessed. Uh, life was not fun. We had to restructure, declare chapter 13. It's where you 
agree to pay back your creditors, but the interest rates, the interest stops. I had to get a job. I had to get some consistent, uh, some consistent income. Part of my financial journey was it included learning about risk, how to manage it, how to come back from too much risk and failure, how to rebuild. Uh, the first thing that Sarah and I had to do was get serious about our budget. It's easy to have emotional arguments about how to spend limited resources or who's wasting what you share unless you use a spreadsheet. We had to look at our monthly income and expenses in black and white and have a conversation about the spreadsheet and not each other. Big, big key there. We had to get a spreadsheet and look at everything in black and white and have a discussion about the spreadsheet and not about each other. We had to stop pointing fingers and just start looking at the black and white. One of the things that our friends, Francis and Tony, talk about in uh, their financial chapter where they, it's sub, 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 uh, sub area called budget is not a bad word. Um, this is in customize your life. They say, when you have a budget, when you don't have a budget, you tend to spend based on feeling. And, you know, I, they also talk about the fact that look, a budget isn't magic. Uh, like for Sarah and me, the spreadsheet and the budget, it wasn't magic, but it helps take the emotion out of the expenses. So you can actually get more deliberate about where you're putting your money. So just think about this. If you look at the last 90 days of your expenses or even the last 60 days of credit card statements, it'll help you see where your money goes. It'll also tell you a story about who you are, what you value. It may force some questions. It helps us all adapt our behaviors towards who we want to be rather than who we are right now. You know, I think I've asked this a couple of times already in this podcast, but do you know your fixed and variable expenses? Jason asked that on the podcast. Most people have no idea. Variable expenses are where most of us need to focus. How can we shift some of that spend in more productive uses? So for us, I had to take a job to earn a more consistent paycheck. I went into consulting sales and technology where I had a good base salary. And then I could apply my knowledge and earn a significant upside by growing businesses, commissions on sales. Um, that was my nine to five job. And I, I, was, I was really good at it. Um, I was at one company, Computer Associates, where I, I earned 17 times my quota. Um, it was such a big commission that they refused to pay it for a while. Um, just a really strange, strange relationship with that company. I, so I refused to show up for a while and we figured it out. And then I had left to start another another uh, dot-com startup, which is a whole other story. But, um, you know, it's just, I think at that time in the Bay Area, there was so much opportunity and uh, I needed to learn how to harness it, how to manage risk and how to take advantage of it. Um, you know, but part of being in outside sales was it gave me the flexibility to be outside the office, to meet people and to also invest in building our Amway business. We ended up joining Amway and we joined as distributors and, and we built, built a, a business that way. Um, so I had my nine to five where I worked very hard. I exceeded expectations during my work hours. And then I applied effort to the asset we were building separately, our direct selling business after work. Uh, it's amazing how much time we can leverage if we don't waste it and how much money anyone can apply to building their asset if they reapply it. At the beginning of each month, we made sure that we were using the products from our own business, sharing them with other people, finding customers, leading by example, and finding people who wanted to join our community. Um, it always used to blow me away that there were people who wouldn't use their own products, wouldn't become a product of the product, and then expected other people to buy it from them. It's like, are you kidding me? It, find another business, find another product that you actually are passionate about, but you got to have that passion. You got to have that fire. You got to be using it every day. Uh, otherwise, it, you know, you, no one's going to believe you and it, it, you'll, it just won't work. Um, 
you know, but so we could do that because we had a budget. We didn't waste our resources. Um, we didn't waste our resources in somebody else's business. We, we bought our products from ourselves. We invested in ourselves first. Secondly, we paid off our debt and we applied our sweat to side hustles that generated returns. You know, and let me just say this, nothing great happens overnight. Um, we had a series of career leaps. Uh, you know, I would outperform somewhere. Somebody else would offer me something. So I made some big leaps, um, you know, became executive very young in, in life before I was 30 at Fortune 100 company, one of the largest tech companies in the world. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I was committed to figuring out how to make things work and dedicated to personal relationships. I've burned almost no bridges in my careers. Very, very few. Um, if I did burn them, it was, it was intentional. <laughs> I didn't want that person coming back into my life. Um, but that allowed us to get out of debt, to pay back creditors, to shift from, you know, six to seven figure incomes. The best part of it all was when we launched Excess at Amway. We were able to create a lifestyle brand and business that combined the way we love to live with the people we enjoyed working with and the way we earned our income. And that business was successful and the money was very good. But the best part was being able to wake up absolutely stoked to help new friends in new parts of the world figure out how to create the life they wanted. That transformed me as well. That transformed who we were and how we saw the world. Um, travel is a great gift that we gave our children. Um, our kids see the world as a place that you can go anywhere you want. Uh, you just have to just have to make the time, budget some money and get there. Um, you know, and it was funny when, uh, when I was talking with Rob about some of this and about uh, about his new book, Grabbing the Bag, that's you know, available at robbell.com. He he talked about this story, a parable or a story in his podcast about the book. And I asked him to retell it on my podcast and I'm actually going to give it away. I'm going to, so hopefully you'll listen to him tell it because it's even better. I am going to give it away because I think it's, it's remarkable. And I think if I tell it, maybe you'll listen to it. But he told this story about, you know, it's a story from the ancient world where this teacher was walking home. It was an ancient Palestine and he got lost. It was at night. He ended up at a Roman garrison by accident. And when the guard saw him standing outside the walls, the guard said to him, who are you? Why are you here? And the teacher asked the guard, how much do they pay you? And the guard was like, what? And he's like, 20 denarii, 20 denarii, something like that. And the teacher said, I'll pay you twice as much to stand outside my house and ask me that question every day. And I think that's kind of the whole point of this podcast. I mean, one, getting your finances in order, getting financial control of your life is what allows you to live the life you want. Um, it's the fuel. It's the powder in your, in your gun, right? Um, but I think the real question that this process allows us to ask when we look at our fixed and variable expenses, when we look at how we're budgeting and prioritizing our time and my money, is who are you? Why are you here? And I'd follow up with, what do you want? And how can I help? And having a financial engine lets you define that, to, to define your path is critical. You gotta have the, the financial engine or you're, you're, you're stuck in the water. You're dead in the water. It doesn't have to happen by accident. In fact, it won't. It's, if we wanna break through barriers in life, many of them financial, we have to live deliberately. This is, this is not an accident, it's not a lottery ticket. It's going to happen because you put an extra effort, because you get control, because you focus on what you want. So do you have a budget? 
Do you know your fixed and variable expenses? Do you have a plan for your time and money that gets you out of debt, that puts your money to work for you? Do you have an asset that you can invest your time in beyond your work, an asset that generates a return on your time? There are no easy answers, and my story doesn't have to be yours, but write your story. Take control of your own narrative. Be deliberate. Make the time to figure it out. Break through barriers holding you back in life. And most importantly, be kick aspiration. Thank you for joining another episode of the Kick Aspirational Podcast. You know, the most important thing to remember is this is not a spectator sport. What I'm deeply interested in is hearing about your stories and answering your questions. What does your life look like? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the barriers that you're trying to break through? Because at the end of the day, the Kick Aspirational Podcast is about helping people break through barriers of their own. I'd love to hear what you're working on. I'd love to join you in your battles. And most importantly, whatever you do today, please, among all other things, be Kick Aspirational. Kick Aspirational.